The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. I know, dude, here's the thing. I make, I make fun of people who forget to turn their mics on and then I go and I, I become the very thing I swore to destroy. It's just a whole, it's a whole bummer, but there's a separate message in that probably. So eventually, to, to those of you online who had to suffer through that awkward silence, I'm sorry. And I'll try, I'll try and make it up to you as the message goes on today. Uh, so my name's Evan. I'm the uh, creative lead here at the Grove Church, which basically means uh, I look at ways of how can we use uh, technology to further God's kingdom, to further uh, telling more and more people about Jesus. Um, it also makes, it means I make the videos. So like, I, I don't know, here's the thing. I'm a big, I'm a big nerd. And so I, I have a love for all things that are just kind of like a little bit off tilter, I suppose you could say. So really into sea shanties. I thought those were great. I know the words to that song. And then when Pastor Nick was like, hey, we're gonna do like a maritime theme series. I was like, I've got a song. It's gonna be awesome. So if you hate it, I'm sorry. But you know, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta feed into your own enjoyment. I don't know if that's the right phrase to use, but you know, something, thank you, thank you. Uh, but we are in, we're in a series called Discipleship. It is two words because, again, maritime themes, so it's a discipleship. Uh, and last week we talked a lot about what would it look like to continuously keep truth in front of us. And this week we're going to talk about what would it look like to continuously live out truth every day. So you'll notice a lot of the themes are going to be similar, uh, but we're going to go in a slightly different direction. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be camped out in the book of James, chapter 1, very end of it. We'll be spending the whole time in James, so no need to bookmark something else. We're just going to be, we're going to be zeroed in there, uh, but I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much that we are just able to gather together, that we're able to worship you the way that you deserve to be worshipped, and we're able to learn more about you. Um, I pray today that as I speak, that they would be your words and not mine. I pray that there wouldn't be a hint of pride in my heart and that you would prepare all of us to hear the truth that you would say in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we're gonna be in James and I thought it would be really helpful for us to get an idea of who James is. So James was one of Jesus' brothers. So we, you may not know that Jesus had brothers, but he had. He had three of them. Um, I guess you could call them half-brothers, but you know they're the sons of Mary and Joseph. So there's James and Jude, who both wrote books of the Bible. And there's a third brother named Simon, who was kind of the Cooper Manning of the family. Um, he was there, but he didn't, you know, he didn't write the book. Some of you got that joke. Some of you, some of you not quite. Uh, but What's interesting about James and really his entire family is he did not grow up believing that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't grow up believing that Jesus was the Son of God, or at the very least, he had his doubts. In the book of Mark, we're told that Jesus' family actually comes to go get him and bring him back home when his ministry had started because they thought that he was out of his mind. But something happened that changed, that changed James forever. Jesus, his brother, died and then three days later, he rose again, just like he said he was going to. And, and after that happens, James spends the whole rest of his life telling as many people as he could that his brother is the son of God. It's, it's one of, for, for me, it's one of the most powerful evidences that Jesus is who he said he, who he, said he is. Because it, it, it would take a lot to convince me that my brother was the son of God. <laughs> and, and he... 
Same thing for him. If you went down to California and found him and you said, Brett, is Evan the son of God? He'd laugh you out of the room. And, and rightfully so. It would take a ton to convince me that that's who my brother was. And yet James was convinced. Jude was convinced. And they spent the whole rest of their lives telling as many people as they could that truth. James becomes kind of an, almost an older brother to the, to the early church. A lot of times when you see conflict rise up, it's James who is the one who kind of steps into the middle of it. There's a famous passage in Acts where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and eventually he'll make his way to Rome, but he has a conflict with the Jewish Christians there and it's James who steps in the middle and kind of mediates between the two of them. Eventually, tradition tells us that James would be killed for his faith in Jesus. Um, he would be brought up to the top of the temple. He would be told to deny Christ. And when he doesn't, they would throw him off. And when he didn't die, they would bring him back up to the top and throw him off again. But before he dies, James actually writes a letter. And that's what the book of James is. It's a letter that we have that was written by James. And it's really interesting because it's different from a lot of the letters that we have in the Bible. Um, if you look at the New Testament, pretty much the whole back half, that's what it is, it's letters. Most of them are letters written to specific people or they're written to a specific church or maybe a group of churches in a region. Uh, the, books of, the book of James is actually written to a people group. It's written specifically to Jewish Christians who had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Um, James refers to this as the dispersion, right? So if you read in James and he says to the dispersion, that's what he's talking about. And so in a way, James is actually writing to people who were very similar to him. He's writing to a, a group of people who grew up Jewish, and they have come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. They had a very similar journey of faith that James would have had. And there's a ton of wisdom in the book of James. It's oftentimes referred to as um, the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you read Proverbs and you read James, you'll see what happens because it's just kind of nugget of truth after nugget of truth after nugget of truth, back to back to back. It's, 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 it's a really great way of writing because you can almost open the book of James up to any point and just read a verse and you're like, oh, that's really good. You almost don't need to like get the whole picture. Obviously it's helpful too, but you can, you can just dive right in. And so we're gonna be camped out in verses 19 through 27. And this is what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is also able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James is writing about a, a, a problem that is extremely common in the history of God's people. From Adam and Eve until today, we have always struggled with not just hearing what God would say, with not just listening to the word of God, but to also doing what he would have us do. 
And James's audience, again, they would have been completely aware of this. These are not people who are new to worshiping the one true God. Their ancestors, their father's 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 father had been doing this for generations. Um, they would immediately think back to Moses when the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, right? They see 10 plagues, absolute miracles. They get up to the Red Sea. They're about to be killed. And then God splits the waters, lets them pass through, and then caves the waters back again to rescue them. And a few weeks later, Moses is called up to Mount Sinai. He's given the Ten Commandments. He's given the law. And he comes back down. And what does he see? He sees the Israelites worshiping like a made-up statue. Like they, and, and God himself is like, I am Yahweh. I am the one true God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who delivered you out of Egypt. And then Moses walks down to find them worshiping Moo Moo the cow. Like it's... <laughs> And I don't know, I don't know that's, if that's what they named him, but I like to think it was. Like, it would just be a great, it would be a great name. See, they, they had just received the law, and yet they weren't willing to do what it said. What was the first commandment? You'll have no other gods before me. Fast forward, we get into the time period of the judges and the kings. And there's this cycle that breaks out where, you know, God's people, they're in the promised land. It's awesome. And then they think to themselves, well, you know, these other gods are pretty cool. And they start worshiping them. And then if they're, you know, they're not going to uphold their part of the covenant. So God doesn't uphold his. Enemy armies come in. They begin oppressing the Israelites. And the Israelites are like, oh my gosh, why did we do this? Lord, please deliver us. God raises up a judge. These are men and women who God would raise up to deliver his people. They would deliver his people. The people would be thankful. They would worship God for like a generation. And then their kids would immediately go back into the same cycle as before. I think it happens like 16 times in the book of Judges. It's incredible. And even when we get to the kings, it doesn't get any better, right? We think of King David, who was a good king. He leads his people to worship God. Obviously not a perfect man, but at least he does that. But for every good king that we see in the Old Testament, there's like five really bad ones. But we don't talk about them very often. There's kings who did child sacrifice. It's insane. And for, for all these generations, there are people who are hearing the word of God. They have the law, and yet they're not willing to do what it says. When we, when we get to the books of the prophets, and that's Isaiah through Malachi in, in your Bibles, almost all of those books are dealing with the hypocrisy of God's people. They're, they're dealing with people who are outwardly religious, but they're not living godly lives. And one of my favorites is in the book of Malachi, he uses this figure of speech or this mode of talking where he would say, God would declare, you have wronged me this way. And then the people would respond, how have we done this? And then he would say, by, by X. And he would reveal how they had wronged him in a way that they didn't expect. So like one of the famous ones is, God declares that you have robbed me. And the people respond, how, how have we robbed you? Like we haven't taken any gold. We haven't taken anything from the temple. We haven't gone up into heaven, raided your treasure chest, and then come back down. And then God says, you, you've robbed me because you haven't given the tithes and the offerings that, you've, that you promised to give. And it's, it's all these ways in which the people of Israel had, had heard what God would say. They had heard the law. They had heard what God would have them do. And, and yet, they didn't do it. And, and all throughout the history of God's people, this has been the struggle. But there's, there's something different about the audience that James is writing to and, and the way that we live today that wasn't there in the Old Testament. And, and that difference is, is Jesus. And see, I think, I think the, the issue of being hearers and not doers oftentimes is simply an issue of belief. 
Like, do we, do we truly believe that God became man, that he lived among us, that he lived the perfect, sinless life that we could never live, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and that because of his death and resurrection, we can now have relationship with him? Like, do, do we believe that, or is that just something that we hear? Is that just something that we know? Do we, do we try to earn God's affection? Like when, when we do good things, when we do the things that God would have us do, are we doing it in the hopes that he will, you know, eventually, like if I just do enough, eventually God will love me and eventually I'll deserve the salvation that we have? Do we have this idea that, you know, eventually on the other end of eternity, we'll stand before God and he'll put all of our good works and all of our bad works. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, then we're in. Is, is that the idea that we have in our head? Or do we truly believe that what Jesus did on the cross was it? That that was final? Do we believe that we don't have to live godly lives so that God loves us, but do we believe that we live godly lives because God loves us? In other words, we don't do for God to love us. We do because God loves us. Yeah. And see, see what, a, what a difference that makes, how, how, how freeing that is, that we don't have this pressure, this idea that we have to do enough good things and eventually we will be saved. We know that the work of Christ is finished. We know that we can rest on him. I love in, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us is one of my favorite songs, um, which will surprise mostly no one. Um, but there's a line in it that says, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no measure, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. What's it saying? It's saying, I'm not gonna boast in anything that I do. My, my boast is in what Jesus has already done. We're not trying to be like Christ to save ourselves from hell. We're, we're becoming more and more like Christ every day because we have been saved from hell. And I think there's this, this false dichotomy that gets built between hearers and doers. We, ha we have this idea that there's people who, they love to hear and they love to learn and they just kind of, they become fat cats, right? They just sit down and they just take in, they take in and they don't, they don't give anything away. And then there's people who are doers, you know, they don't need to hear, they don't need to listen. Uh, they're just gonna go off and, and do whatever needs to be done. Um, but what I, what I would posit is not that there's an issue between hearers and doers. The, the issue is that there's people who hear, but they don't actually believe. Because how, how, could we, how could we know everything that Jesus has done for us? How can we know everything that God has done for us and then truly believe that in our hearts and not do anything with that? See, that's, that's the disconnect. The disconnect is that we hear, but we, we don't believe. And see, I, I think it's, it's really interesting that in this passage, there's the big, heavy part in the middle that says, you know, do not just be hearers of the word, but do what it says. But sandwiched around that, James gives us some application, and it's, it's not the kind of application that we would expect. I think a lot of times when I hear that idea of don't be a hearer, be a doer, we think of big things. Like we think of John the Baptist, who God called to go into the desert to eat locust and honey, and then to come out and to start a ministry that would make way for Jesus. I think of there's, there's a family in the church that, um, or missionary family that we support where what God called them to do was to sell everything and, and move into a foreign country and they run an orphanage now, which is incredible. God called them to that. Um, and I think those are the things that we have in our minds and we, we oftentimes miss the small things that would actually make a huge difference if we really latched onto them. 
And so let's look at verses 19 through 21. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Or to put it another way, because God has been slow to anger with me, I should be slow to anger with others. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. This was a really convicting message to write. Like I am, not, I am not standing on a pedestal saying like, man, listen, I'm nailing this. You guys, here's how you can improve. No, like this was basically like, hey, Evan, how would you like to relive like just some of the things that you regret the most in your life? I'm like, thank you, Lord. This is incredible. But when we say, be quick to listen, what, what if we as Christians were known as people who were quick to listen? And I can think back to a time in my life, I can close my eyes and remember when people were in my life and what they, need, what they needed most from me was to be there and to listen, and I didn't do it. Like I was in the room, but I wasn't attentive. I didn't give them the attention they needed. My mind was occupied elsewhere. Um, when, they, when they needed me just to, just to be there and listen to what they were saying, I didn't, I didn't do it. When, it. when it says, be slow to speak. This is probably the most convicting one for me because I, I, love, I love to argue. It's, it's one of my love languages. And so um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the healthiest thing, but it, 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 border, it borderlines on being physically painful for me when I hear someone that says something I disagree with to not just immediately jump in and start arguing about it. Um, but what if, what if we as Christians were known as being people who were slow to speak? What if we didn't have to just jump in and immediately start arguing with people? What if we could sit and listen and hear them out? What if we didn't cut people off? What if we just simply loved them that way? When he says, slow to anger, what, what would it look like for us as Christians to be known as people who weren't ruled by our emotions, who weren't ruled by anger? And don't, don't raise your hands, but I imagine most of us can think back to a time when we were just filled with rage and we acted on it. And I'd imagine that most of us, when we reflect on that time, we don't think to ourselves, that was a really healthy moment. <laughs> probably, it probably wasn't a good decision that was made. There's, um, there's a saying that I heard a Christian author use a few years ago. And it honestly took me like a few times hearing it before I, I understood what he was talking about. But he said, um, anger is the devil's cocaine. And, and what he meant by that was when we are ruled by rage, when we let our lives be ruled by anger, when we're just kind of riding high on that feeling of being, you know, we're justified and this person wronged me, they did this and you're just living angry. Like there's a, there's a comfort in being angry when we feel that way. Um, Satan loves it when we're feeling that way because he can get us to do almost anything. In, in, the, in the midst of, in the midst of rage, there's almost nothing that we can't do. But what, what would it look like if, as Christians, we devoted ourselves to being slow to anger? And that's not to say, you know, there are, there are times where anger is, is justified. There are times where it's, it's there. But A, like when we, look at, when we look at the life of Jesus when he was angry, again, he was slow to anger. He wasn't quick to anger. And 
Look at who his anger was directed at. It's almost never sinners. It's, it's usually, again, people who are outwardly religious, but they weren't living out the things that they already knew. And I think, I think for us today, we, a lot of our anger is directed at people who we hold to a standard that they themselves don't hold themselves to. Like we, we expect non-Christians to act like Christians, and we get really angry when they don't. What, what would it look like, look like if instead of being angry, we instead led the way with grace? Another verse is, uh, this is after the passage, but in James 1.26 it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Um, to put it another way, because God speaks blessing over me, I should speak blessing over others. I think sometimes there's parts of the Bible that we read and we've, we've heard them so often that we kind of just skip past. Like, oh yeah, it's that verse. Um, but like, listen again. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's a powerful statement. There's a, there's a saying that Pastor Nick loves to use that I think is great, and it's, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And how, how often in, in, in my life have I just kind of spouted off the first thing I said, whether, you know, maybe I thought I was being funny, maybe I thought I was being, you know, I'm being authentic, I'm being myself, or maybe it was, you know, I just, I just felt like being mean that day, I don't know. But how, how many times have I just said the first thing that comes to my mind, and, and when someone um, had the opportunity to hear Jesus, they instead just heard sin? And I, I think it's, in, it's incredibly convicting for me just to think about um, how many people do I run into every day who they aren't in church, they're, they're not a part of families that are saturated with the gospel, they're not being exposed to truth every day. And so they're, they're one chance to really hear about Jesus, they're one chance to see Jesus in action for, the, for that moment, at least, is, is me. And how often do I just kind of not even worry about that? It's, it's interesting when you talk with people who have you know, deep resentment of Christianity, people who just want nothing to do with it, very rarely are they people who have a problem with Jesus. Most often they're people who have a problem with Christians that they've met. They, they have a problem with people who knew what was right, they had listened, but they, they weren't being doers. Another verse is James 1.27. This is the last one we'll talk about today, but it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. world. Or to put it another way, because God loved me at my lowest, I should love people at theirs. See, James reminds us to love people without expectation of return. And in James's day, the widows and orphans were the, the poorest of the poor in society. When, when Christians would help them, they, there was no expectation that you know, one day it would be paid back. And so what, what does that look like for us today? I mean, obviously, widows and orphans are still a thing, right? There are single parents who are really struggling. There's children, whether in the foster system or whether they're actually in orphanages, that they, they need our love, they need our support. But I think there's other groups, too. Like, what do we think of and how do we treat the homeless? 
What do we think of and how do we treat people who we know could never actually repay the things that we do for them? Or even to take a step forward to forget about um, money and kind of that whole aspect of it. What does it look like for us to love people who we know will emotionally never pay that back? What, what does it look like to love people who are really hard to love? And we all have, we all have those family members. <laughs> but what, what does it look like for those people that walk into a room and we immediately kind of roll our eyes or, you know, I look over at my wife and I'm like, oh, great, like whatever, whatever it is. What does it look like to love those people? We know we're not going to get anything out of it. And, and again, it kind of just comes back to the idea of belief. Because if I, if I really believed that when I was at my lowest, when I, was, when I was dead in sin, when there was no hope, that it was at that moment that Jesus reached down and he gave me life. If I really believed that, how silly is it to not offer that to others? Like, imagine if we, if we one day on the other side of eternity stand before God, and when he asks us, why didn't you love that person, you'd say, oh, Lord, they're just so hard to love. I like to imagine that God would say, you know, I know someone else who's pretty hard to love. <laughs> but here we are, you know? <laughs> it's silly, but again, what would it look like to love those people? And this, I just find it so fascinating that these are the applications that James gives us, right? They're, they're things that we could do right now. We could leave and we could immediately start working on all of these things. We can work on being uh, people who would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, people who controlled what we say, people who love without expectation of return. These aren't massive life changing things. Like, that's not the right thing to say. They are life-changing. But there's not these massive things that we think of in that sense. It's small things that make a massive difference in how we treat others, how we treat people. And, and again, I, I want to make sure we don't leave this behind because I think messages like this are really convicting. Again, as I wrote this, it was just like hit after hit after hit of just like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing good in so many of these things. But again, the reason that I should strive to live my life like this is, is not so that God loves me. It's because I know that God does. It's because I know what Jesus has already done for me. And it's, if, if I, the more I believe that, the more I reflect on that, the more I truly believe that the creator of the universe loved me personally so much that he died on a cross for me, the easier it will be for me to love others. The easier it will be for me to not have my life ruled by anger. The easier it will be to control what I say. And finally, I just want to have a moment where we all just take a second to think about what is the Holy Spirit talking to us about today? Because I think we could, we could honestly do a whole year-long series on just the idea of like, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. But, but when we hear James say, don't just hear the word, but do what it says, what is God saying to us today? What in our personal lives would God be saying? Honestly, let's just take 30 seconds and let's ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to reveal in us the areas where we have, we've just been hearers, but we haven't been doers.
Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you love us so much that you made a way for us. And I pray that today that as the Holy Spirit searches our hearts for how we can continue to be doers of the word and not just hearers, that we wouldn't feel condemned, that we wouldn't just feel beat down by hopelessness, but that it would just be the healthy conviction of the Holy Spirit. That it would be you lovingly showing us areas where we have fallen short and lovingly pointing us to the ways in which we can continue to become more and more like Christ every day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.